lovely to be here in this fine building. And we're so glad, again, to have the conference located here in Monaghan. We really do appreciate your warmth, your welcome, and your hospitality. And here we are again. It's hard to believe a year has gone under the bridge, so to speak. And here we are back again in Monaghan for our second Flow Conference. And um, we thank God for all that he's done over the past year. But even as we stand at the outset of the conference tonight, uh, as Daniel said, it seems to be a tradition then. And, and partly for me then, I'm thinking, you know, the biblical narrative is, Lord, you keep the best wine till the end. And I'm thinking, oh, what, am I the vinegar? <laughs> Let's get them out of the way so that we can bring on the other speakers. But it's great to have some of our visiting speakers, Tim and Helen, with us tonight. And we have... Uh, um, Noel and, and Rob and, and many others who are ministering over the three days and we really look forward to that space where we see ministry, different facets of anointed ministry coming into the gathered space uh, of the conference and I trust and pray that at the end of the conference uh, something will have shifted in your life and that you will be different as a result of attending this particular uh, conference. Um, you know, with EMI, we're only a small network of churches south of the border. We love being a part of the whole island because we have so many wonderful churches in the north and brothers and sisters in Christ. But as we are moving into this part of our journey, we dare to believe that God has a work for us to do. And one of the things that I feel is important, and I will be referencing this tonight as I share the word of God, is that, you know, if we keep doing the things that we are doing, we will keep getting the things that we are getting. And really, that is not good enough. Um, uh, if we can put up the first slide there, uh, um, guys, thanks. Uh, don't go with the flow. Be the flow. And I believe that God is calling us into movement. And God is not inviting us to stagnation. He's not inviting us to dead-end living or... Uh, a, a Christianity that tapers off. But I believe he's calling us into a journey and an adventure with him, both personally and corporately, that really takes us into the movement of his Holy Spirit. God is all about movement and change. And I believe that God wants us to be the flow in the world, to be the church that is moving in God. And, uh, you know, I believe with all my heart that we are being invited by God to become a movement in the Republic of Ireland that will bring the blessing of God. We're not the only network of churches, I've said this before, but we believe we have a place at the table of the kingdom, so to speak, and that that place uh, God has given us to speak into that, to serve into that, and to see our society change supernaturally by the power of God. And uh, I hope and pray that as we spend time together over these three days, as Daniel has said, that we will enjoy one another's company, but that equally we would have that appetite inside of us that says, God, I want to experience change in my life. I want things to be different. And so um, in order to help us around that, I've called my message tonight, Pourability. Pourability. And I'm going to talk about... Uh, the, the, the idea of pouring uh, in some passages of the Bible is a particular passage that we're going to visit in a moment. But uh, if you look at the person next to you and say, I wonder are you 
a pourable person? Um, are you someone that can uh, uh, have something poured into you? Or are you someone that can have something poured out of you? And portability is going to be vital for the church in this generation. And we want to be the church that has portability. Uh, not a church that stagnates, but a church that has portability. In order to help us as we uh, begin to engage with that, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And this is where we're really going to um, focus, although we'll be looking at some other verses as we go. But I want us to come in on 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verses 9 to 18. <clears throat> So I'll give you a few moments to find that passage of Scripture. And my hope and prayer is tonight that somehow God will speak through the Dublin accent and the tones and the languaging of what's said and that we will experience a shift in our hearts and lives as we come under the sound of the Word of God. It's great to have the worship team and we thank God for that place of worship and I loved uh, just being in the worship time. And as we come into the word of God now, may God continue to outpour his spirit upon us as we listen. In verse 9 it says, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. Hannah was praying silently and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought, she's drunk and he scolded her. How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine or your whining, whichever it might be. No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the petition you've requested from him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. Um, if I just put my Bible on the floor there, that will help me because I have uh, scriptures just here in my notes. We see here that uh, th there's a number of things I want us to look at with regard to pouring out. But the first one here in 1 Samuel chapter 1 has to do with the pouring out of our souls before God. And, and this is how Hannah describes her encounter. I believe when we come together, we always should experience God when we are together. And I, I believe we serve a God who wants us to know that he is present amongst us. But I also believe we, we uh, have a God who wants us to encounter him. And I want to suggest to you that experience is something that we can enjoy in worship and in the gathered congregation of God's people. But encounter is, is something which leads to change. And I believe that God wants us to change. My wife wants me to change. My children want me to change. 
But God wants us to change. God has called you to himself so that your life would be different. And I just wonder, um, are you still changing? Are you being changed by God in a biblical way as you continue to serve him? And it's so easy for us to get stuck. It's so easy for us to somehow uh, taper off in our faith journey. And that, my prayer tonight and over this conference is that some of us will experience a restoration of our joy, a recovery of our souls in the presence of God, and maybe even a repurposing of our lives before Him. Maybe you've lost your way. I think even as Christians we can lose our way. And Hannah in this passage is an example to us. I'm glad that the Bible gives us stories of men and women uh, from which we can glean how God deals with us in the world. And I am of the opinion, and certainly in terms of how I seek to turn up in the world, that, you know, the church, in order to deliver the kingdom of God to a broken world, must bring masculinity and femininity to the table of faith, to the dialogue of the word of God, and to the manifestation of the work of God in order for us to penetrate the world as it currently sits. And, you know, I'm not saying everybody will agree with that, but I'm declaring that we must bring masculinity and femininity to the table of spiritual dialogue and service so that we will deliver a healthy expression of kingdom faith into the world. And the church sometimes is missing out on what God wants to do in the world. Their priority is to find out what God wants and to go and do it. My opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's what God wants to do. And so I want to experience God, and I have experienced Him. But more than the experience of God, I hope you experience God at this conference. But I hope more than that, that you encounter God. Because encounter with God is transformational. Um, experience of God will get you on a high. You'll go home happy and you'll buy a burger and chips and uh, you'll be happy there, lurrying into your food and having great fellowship. But the next morning, for all I know, you could wake up grumpy. Has that ever happened to you? Grumpy pastors on a Monday morning. <laughs> but in the place of experience, there is a lifting of our heart. In the place of encounter, there is the changing of our hearts. And I want to suggest to you, we need to push into the center of what God wants to do in our lives and not just be happy with the thrill of the margin. We need to be push into the center so that there will be change in our lives. Hannah went to the sanctuary to pray. And I want us to lift some truths. I want to talk about poured out sorrow. I want to talk about poured out spirit. I want to talk about poured out service, and I want to talk about poured out supply. But I'm not going to do all them. That's too many tonight. As I look out on this audience, I see that, you know, um, we can only take so much. Okay. And um, tonight, I really want to look at the first one and maybe the second one. We see how we go. But really, what God laid on my heart was uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, the pouring out 
of Hannah's soul. And you, you'll read in that passage, you see the Bible talks to us about the place of prayer and it talks to us about how we should pray. David said in Psalm 142, I pour out my complaint before him. And I want us to think as we look at this um, about prayer as a place where you can pour out, okay? That's, that's the point I want us to get across. It says in 1 Peter 5 and 7, pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there for he always tenderly cares for you. It says in Psalm 62 and verse 8, Oh my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is a refuge. Michael Card said, It seems to me that we do not need to be taught how to lament, since we have so many models of that in Scripture. What we need is simply the assurance that it's okay to lament, because we all carry deep within us a pressurized reservoir of tears and pain. But it only takes the right key at the right time to unlock that. In God's perfect time, these tears can be released to form a healing flood. That's the beauty and mystery of the prayer of lament. And I want to talk about poured out prayer tonight because I feel that there's a, an emphasis on prayer that we might be missing, that I might be missing as a servant of God. And I hope to slide that across to your thinking and to your faith as we look at this passage in particular in these moments. Graham Cook says, if you are in mourning, you have the opportunity to worship in the most powerful way possible, in the place of lamentation. This worship isn't done in order to have God remove the pain. It simply recognizes that God stands in that moment with us. Lamentation elevates God in the presence of our enemies. It brings out a side of God that other forms of worship and prayer simply cannot touch. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, to pour out your heart is to tell someone your secret feelings and the things that worry you. That's a great definition of prayer. To tell someone your secret feelings and the things that worry you. So let's interrogate this then with those words of preamble that lead us into it. I want to talk about the two people first of all. Eli the leader. Because I have a little rant I have to get off my chest. Is that all right? I kind of feel this is a safe place tonight. And I'll last the three days. And, I, you know, I always feel it's, it's good to let the pastor, you know, get something off his chest before he gets... Is that what happens in your church? No? Your pastor just sticks with the word. Pray for us in Tala, will you? <laughs> They're being mitered every Sunday because I have a rant with them. But uh, something about Eli the priest... Because as I read this passage, I was arrested by Hannah's prayer. This woman told me something about God. I want to be open to anybody telling me something about God. Amen? Amen. And, and we need to widen the aperture so that the Holy Spirit can come to our lives in a bigger, better, and greater way. Do not limit God in your life because of your predisposition to your own opinions. You need to be opened up widely to the Spirit of God. Hannah has something to teach me, but also the context has something to teach me. And I look at Eli the priest, and he was a leader. And I want to just get it off my chest, a few things to leaders. And if it was possible, just so you know, you know, if I was speaking, I'd be sitting there speaking to myself. Not like the preacher said, I was preaching so good the other night, I, w I wish I was sitting in the pew taking notes on myself. 
I was that good. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I, what I say to you as a leader, I, I really put myself under that same um, uh, scrutiny in the Word of God. But a few things about Eli that saddened me, challenged me, and called me to be different. Some leaders show you what you shouldn't be doing, and some leaders show you what you should. Don't miss the lessons that God brings to you in all the way that church happens in our society. I want to say just a few things. Eli was an obstruction rather than an instruction. This woman should have been coached in prayer by the man, the priest, the mediator between the people of God and Jehovah. And yet he was sitting there um, and he was an obstruction rather than an instruction. He was an interference rather than an inspiration. He was a low energy leader rather than a life energy leader. He was a tranquilizer rather than a transformer. Have you ever been with preachers? You lose the will to live. Your head starts to drop on your shoulder. What sort of preaching is that? What sort of leadership is that? Um, you know, the only people I want to tranquilize when I'm preaching are insomniacs because that's a condition that needs help. All right? Um, and I don't mind if an insomniac goes to sleep. We used to have a, people, a, a, a farmer in Westport and he used to come to the Sunday night service we had and he would invariably fall asleep every Sunday night to the melodious sound of my Dublin voice. And um, I didn't try to take any offense at that. I thought, I am bringing some therapy to that hard-working man where he's able to find rest and safety in the house of God. And he actually has the confidence to fall asleep and not feel that we're going to kick him out of the church. But um, Eli was more of a tranquilizer than a transformer. I, I think we're in a crisis of leadership in politics, but also in the church. I don't call it Brexit anymore. I call it Brexitus. Uh, but there's so much toing and froing about it. Eli exercised his leadership as sin management rather than as saving ministry. He, he, he completely challenged this woman who was encountering God and wasn't able to read the situation. He should have been sacked. God help us if we have leaders like that in the church who cannot understand the, the pain and the trouble and the trauma that is happening in the lives of parishioners and congregants and in the wider world. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3, uh, you know, says that uh, John the Baptist's ministry was to make a highway for God. And, you know, that's the kind of leadership that I feel I want to get behind. Eli was putting up a barrier to God instead of making a highway to God. Don't be a barrier be a highway. Praise the Lord. When are they going to get a motorway to Monaghan? <laughs> this idea, they don't know whether it's a dual carriageway or a single road. Have you found that going into Monaghan? There's two lanes and you're flying along like a mad Dublin jackie and then suddenly they warn you it's going to go into one. Did you just run out of tar or something like that up here? I can't understand that. When are you going to get a highway? I think Monaghan is the center of Ireland. Hallelujah. It's a great place. 
and the best mushrooms in Ireland come from Monaghan. So we need to get good roads into it. But, you know, as leaders, sometimes we promote attendance at a ritual instead of participation in the eternal. And I want to make a call to myself and to all the leaders in the house tonight. Let's be leaders. If you're going to be a leader, be a leader for Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and be inspirational. Be transformational. Uh, be a highway. Be some... Uh, be the kind of person that people want to follow. Be the kind of person that people feel they want to serve God because they've heard you speak. And so that's Eli the priest. And then we have um, Hannah the mother. Now, I know you're going to correct me on that and say that she didn't yet have children. I believe enshrined in every woman is the capacity for motherhood just as much as I believe in every man is the capacity for fatherhood. What a rich gold vein is there in masculinity and femininity when it comes together. What a, what a combination that would be. What a, what a combo that would be in terms of advancing the kingdom of God. If we realized the gold that's in us, we are made in the image of God and we bring something of worth to the table because of Jesus Christ and we're better together than we are apart. Amen. And so this woman was a mother before she ever had a child. Hallelujah. Hannah, the mother. And um, our mothers are great, aren't they? Irish mothers, they're the best in the world. Somebody wrote some things that their mother taught them. This fellow says, my mother taught me spirituality and intercession because she said to me, you'd better pray that that stain comes out of the carpet. My mother also taught me time travel. She said, if you don't straighten up, John, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. <laughs> My mother taught me logic because I said so. That's why. <laughs> My mother taught me foresight and preparation. She said, used to say, make sure you have clean underwear in case you're in an accident. <laughs> My mother also taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. My mother also taught me gymnastics and contortionism. Would you take a good look at that dirt on the back of your neck? My mother taught me about the weather. She said, you see your room? It looks like a tornado has gone through it. My mother taught me about hypocrisy. If I told you once, I told you a million times, stop exaggerating. She also taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into the world, and I can take you out. <laughs> My mother also taught me to envy. She said there are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have wonderful parents like me. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait till I get you home. All right, I better stop there. Oh, no, last one. My mother taught me about justice. One day you'll have kids, and I hope they'll turn out just like you. <laughs> so, Hannah the mother. Here was a woman that was uh, inwardly clouded by her pain. She was emotionally affected and afflicted. And I want us just to pick up the strands in this passage and see. Because when you, when, when you go to verse 18 in this passage. 
Hannah encountered God in that space of prayer. And I want to interrogate that passage because there's something from God through this woman that will teach us about poor ability and about prayer. And I am concerned at how the church has taken prayer, and I include myself in that. I'm not criticizing the church as someone who's outside of it. I'm, I'm really challenging the church as I would my own life. What is this issue of prayer? Um, and Hannah prayed, and it says that when she, uh, I'll just read it in a, uh, quickly in a few translations, she went back and began to eat again. She was no longer sad. It says in the NIV, her face was no longer downcast. It says in the message, she ate heartily and her face was radiant. Now here's the thing. She was distraught that she, she didn't have a child. She was barren. And she was tormented by Penina. And this woman was in great distress. But when she encountered God, she was still in the same condition and the same context. But the Bible says she was no longer sad. Her countenance was radiant. She was alive and had an appetite. She had an appetite for food. And she had an appetite to go back. She came out of that place different to the way that she came in. She was broken. She says herself, she wept with many tears. She pleaded with God in her pain. She said, I am a woman with a broken heart. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish. So here's, what's the lesson? God, what is the lesson about prayer? You see, why are so many prayers that we pray empty and ineffective? And I want to ask the question, is it because there is no soul in our prayers? She poured out her soul to God. And I, you know what? I think the devil wants to keep you from prayerful encounter with God. And what he would seek to do is divest prayer of its soul. Was it Billy Joel had a song, It's All About Soul? I don't know. Sorry. I shouldn't be referencing these because um, I don't want to be bringing my playlist into your life of songs. But our praying. Let's pause and think about our praying because I believe God has something for us to learn from Hannah in this. Why, are, why, why is it that we pray and we don't seem to have that transformational experience? The answer to our prayer did not come. But she came out of that prayer time different. Wouldn't it be great if every time we prayed something transformational happened in that space. Do you think that's something God might be interested in? You see, a lot of our praying can be soulless and can be a mere pouring out of words and sentences and the rehearsal of scriptures and religious cliches. A lot of our praying can be about giving God details on our lives as if he needed them. And don't get me wrong, I give God details. Lord, I'm on the road to Monaghan today. I know, John, I know. But if that's the center of our praying, God help us. If, if we feel that prayer is about giving God details, a lot of our praying is about giving God our checklist 
our shopping list of needs. That's how we come with prayer. We give God a big list of our requirements, our needs, our demands, our requests. A lot of our praying is about giving God theological statements. Really parading our theological orthodoxy before the Lord. Look how correct I am. Look how um, learned I've become in the things of God. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do any of these things. But if that's what our prayer is, it doesn't surprise me that there is no transformative encounter in our prayer times. There might be an experiential space or phase. But, and I want to experience God. I'm a Pentecostal. I couldn't survive outside of that. No disrespect to anybody else. I respect the sacred space of all expressions of church. But I think in eternity past, God said, I'm going to assign this crater to the Pentecostal wing of the church. Okay, so uh, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, or if you're um, well, of the faith movement, you're delete in sickness, just in health, <laughs> the death us do part. And so we have unwittingly, leaders and churches, we have unwittingly turned prayer into a soulless place of information, ventilation, and declaration. And has become something other than, something less than, something not what God intended it to be. And I want to suggest to you, prayer out of the depths of your soul is a transform, transformational uh, experience that leads to encounter with God and will bring change in your life. But what needs to happen is we need to pour out our souls. It's not the loudness of our prayers. It's not the length of our prayers. It's not the languaging of our prayers that moves the heart of God. We've almost turned prayer into formulaic. We need to spend longer. We need to shout louder. We need to be, you know, I've heard people say, they ask the Holy Spirit, technically incorrect, they should say in Jesus' name. And I'm thinking, God help us. If, if, if verbal exactitude and grammatical excellence is going to determine whether God turns up in a room, uh, we're, we're missing, we're taking our eye off the main thing. Do you think that God is impressed with the strength of your voice box? I know what you're thinking, John, there's nothing wrong with yours. <laughs> Do you think that God is impressed with your ability to pray for 20 minutes without drawing breath? Do you think that God is swooning over your grammar and flowery articulation of theological truth? My question is, when is the last time you poured out your soul to God? When is the last time I poured out my soul to God? This woman was desperate in the place of prayer. And she poured out her soul. She wasn't loud. I don't think she was lengthy. I don't think she was flowery, but what made the difference? And I'm not saying if you're going to pray, it's always nice to hear good prayers. Don't get me wrong. I'm not uh, dissing that. Please understand my heart and spirit in this. The issue here is the pouring out of your soul. A prayer meeting should be the pouring out of our soul to God. Your time with God should be the pouring out of your soul. Hannah 
put her heart and soul on the table of communion with God. She had a transparency, a truthfulness, a tearfulness to her dialogue. She was connected to her pain, which rose up through her as a plea, and she put it into a promise as she connected to God heart to heart. What's the point I'm trying to make here? The point I'm trying to make is this. God wants your heart in the place of prayer. And even if it's a broken heart, even if it's a painful heart, because it's in the place of connection that the transfer of God's presence and your weakness can take place. Your vulnerability, your brokenness. You know what I think? I think there are many Christians here tonight and you have pockets of pain in your soul and you pray every day and you tell God what your needs are. You talk to God. You rehearse the scriptures before God. You speak to God in uh, sound language. You have orthodox faith. You have a good prayer pattern. And what's not being squeezed out of you is the place of pain in your heart. And you go to a prayer meeting, you get your needs off your chest, you verbalize your checklist, you declare to God the details of your life, you let God have a look at your deficit, your difficulties, your desperation, and then you go out again. And God is saying, I don't want to look in the vessel of your life. I want you to tip the vessel of your life and pour out your pain, the toxicity, the disappointment, the unforgiveness, the hurt, the poison, the affliction, the sadness, the sorrow. You need to get it out of you. Get it out of you. How can you live as a Christian shouting hallelujah and there is a corner of your heart that God is not allowed to touch because you are keeping it in the vessel. Pour she said, I have poured out. That's the key word to me. She went away with an appetite and a radiant face because she poured out her soul. That's the key word. Because I've done verbal prayers, loud prayers, theological prayers, long prayers, flowery prayers, articulate prayers, um, neat prayers, clever prayers. I've done all that kind of praying. If I'm honest, I've tried every trick in my book. But in my experience, God responds to transparency. He responds to vulnerable nakedness in our lives where we come to God vulnerable and open and say, God, I need to pour out not just my strength and not just my wisdom. I need to pour out my foolishness. I need to pour out my mistakes. I need to pour out my sins. I need to pour out my pain. And none of us can live in the world without being wounded by its hostility, by its brokenness, and by its failure and disconnectedness before God. You, you can't, you can't uh, walk through this world without getting stabbed in the back, without getting tripped up, without getting rumbled or betrayed. I'm being honest with you, Jesus didn't give us any ticket. He didn't give us a get out of jail card to say, you're not going to experience trouble in the world. He actually said, you're going to have trouble. 
And the issue here is there is um, a dance of pouring that God invites us to. If you read in the book of Jeremiah, Moab was not poured out and was subject to the discipline of God. Because Moab has not been poured from vessel to vessel. Judgment is coming upon that nation, God said. And Moab is still on his knees. I'm not going to go into that. It's a whole other message and story. But Moab was not poured out and was subject to pain and judgment from God and misery because Moab refused to be poured out. And I believe the first step in our experience and our encounter with God is to pour out ourselves to him. Can you remember when you got saved? You know, I don't know what it was like for you, but I poured out myself to God. I cried. God broke me in his presence. And I went home different. I've told this story before. When I went home, I went upstairs on the bus. I was so high. Uh, but I also had a smoke. Just to tell the truth, I used to smoke at that time. So I got the smoke out of the way and then went home and I stood in front of the telly with all my family there and I said, you need Jesus. I thought, revival, hallelujah, they're all going to get saved. And they said, get him out of the telly. He said, nah, he's having a nervous breakdown. Get him out of the telly. Get him out of the, the way of the TV. But I got saved on the day I poured out my soul to God and he saved my soul. And please understand what I'm saying here. I think some of us as Christians need the saving of our souls. And, and that happens when you take the vessel that is your soul, not, not the, the details of your mind, but you pour out from the very depths and pour out everything to God. Everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly uh, um, Hannah did that and she got rid of the poison that was building up inside of her she could have done a cosmetic prayer meeting and said Lord I praise you and thank you hallelujah sang a song gave a request and still retained the pain and the poison that had been visited to her heart by others in the world but she didn't she found a place where she could pour herself on God. And I know it's a, a cliche. The Bible says, cast your burden on the Lord. Get rid of it on God. Don't show it to God and then take it away with you. Cast your burden. And I believe tonight there are some of us who need to get rid of years of shame, of guilt, of regret, of disappointment, of discouragement. You're carrying it with you on the journey when God says, I did not give that to you. There are some burdens in life that need to be shouldered. And that's a, a personal responsibility. Take responsibility for your life. That's what the Bible says. There are burdens in life that need to be shared. That's why you have your wife and your husband or your friend. Amen. It's good to share your burdens. But then there are some things that God hasn't asked you to share or to shoulder. He's told you to shake it off and to get rid of it in Jesus' name. Does that make sense to you? And I think there are so many Christians who are carrying pain and are not experiencing the flow of God in their lives because flow is about pouring. And the definition of flow is to pour out and there's got to be a movement and a rhythm of flow in our lives. 
And so Hannah is an example of the pouring out of the soul. And she prayed. When she prayed, she connected to God. She communicated with God. And in that place of communication and connection, there was a conversion in her soul. And again, don't misunderstand my theology. I believe I'm saved. But I believe I need to be saved again and again from every trick and trap and temptation of the devil. Amen. Every affliction, every, every, everything that the world, the flesh and the devil would throw, I need to be saved. There's times I thought that the devil had me by the ankles. You, some cavern people say that. He had me by the, the devil had me by the ankles. And there's times when it feels that the devil somehow gripped you. Have you ever been gripped with anger, disappointment? My heart has been gripped many times as a Christian and as a leader by things that are wrong or things that I perceive are, are wrong. And in that moment, I can allow that to live in the vessel of my life. And if I do, my prayer life is compromised straight away. But if I learn to give, give it all to Jesus, give him your dreams, your broken dreams, your shattered hearts, your wounds, your emotions, your negative thoughts, your shameful thoughts, your guilt. Give it all to Jesus. And he is able to take it. Hallelujah. And he, God sucked out of Hannah. God uh, took out of Hannah something that day that before she even had the baby, she was a better woman because she poured out her soul to God. I'm not going to have time, but I'll just go to the second point because um, I think there's some energy in that and then I'll leave it at that for this evening. If we can go to, just to the, uh, another section of the Bible that talks about pouring out. And it's, God says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. So when you start pouring out, God will start pouring in. It's not without reason that the disciples in the upper room were gathered to pray. Now, I don't think they were gathered to um, uh, ex uh, uh, engage with huge verbosity. I think they were gathered to pour out their lives before God. When there's a pouring out of your life, there will be a pouring in of his life. And, and I'm not going to put that to you as a formula, but I think it's an integral truth that may help you in the place of prayer. I can go to God and not pour out myself. I can talk with the best of you. And I can pray without taking breath. We must have a competition sometime. See how long you can pray without drawing breath. We all have people like that in our churches, don't we? When we have the prayer meeting, we're going to pray for an hour. And then somebody prays for 35 minutes. Well, we've only 25 minutes to let, give someone else a chance. But the thing is, that's the, the issue is not the length. The issue is, are we pouring out ourselves to God? And when you pour out yourself to God, that is going to position you for a pouring in of something from God. God does not leave us empty. Hallelujah. But we sometimes fear emptiness. But we need in the place of submission and surrender to empty everything out and be an empty vessel before God. And in that terrifying space of emptiness, dare to believe that we could be filled with the goodness, the grace, and the blessing of God. But we want the blessing before we do the emptying. Uh, you like me? I say, God, you give me that, and I let go. It's like the, the, is it the monkey with the jar. Let go of the sweets, and then you can take your hand out, 
and lay hold of something better. A few quick things here, and I'll speak fast because time's against us. Uh, in the last days, God says, I'll pour in my spirit. Great passage of scripture. The word prophesy is used twice. So there must be an emphasis there. Um, I want to suggest to you, the word prophesy really in its root means bubbling up. It means inspiration. And what Jesus Christ has brought to the church when he constituted the church is that I believe God wants the church to be an inspirational community. God wants you to be an inspirational person in an uninspirational world. God wants you to be inspired in an uninspired world. And the word prophesy, they shall prophesy. In other words, they'll be bubbling up. I'll fill them and they won't be able to hold it in. Uh, they'll just start coming out of them. And they, can't, they won't be able to help themselves. I've heard Christians say, oh, the devil made me do it. For goodness sake, when are we going to let God make us do it? Hallelujah. I'm tired of hearing, oh, don't let the devil at the church, he'll ruin it. Let the Holy Spirit at the church, he'll rescue it. And so the early church was birthed in a space of prophetic bubbling up. And then they couldn't help but be unleashed upon an unsuspecting world. Before they had the prophetic outpouring of the Spirit, they were in hibernation. They were insulated against the climate of the day. But as soon as the Spirit fell upon them, they wanted to bring the climate of heaven into the climate of the world. They wanted to bring the presence of God out into the community. And that's what God wants. And Jesus said, don't leave the room until the Spirit comes. It's good advice. And um, for some churches, if, if I said, don't leave the room until the Spirit comes, we could be here a long time. But my prayer is that we will learn to be inspirational communities. And I want to say to you, and please don't take it as a criticism, I believe that when we meet together in Tala Family Church, that needs to be an inspirational space. If it's not, we're missing something. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's what it says in the book of Revelation. The testimony that Jesus is in the house is that people will be inspired in the room. How have we turned church into such an uninspiring service? How have we turned the word of God into such uninspiring rhetoric? How have we turned the worship of God into the droning? I mean, technology has given us drones. So we've enough drones coming out and they're going to be mass produced. There'll be drones everywhere at the airport. Please don't have drones in your church. Amen. Let's keep drones out of the church. If they want to go to the airport, fine. But the church needs to be an inspirational space. And we need to create inspirational space. Or rather, we need to let God uh, bring his spirit into our services. We need, to, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to come to our meetings. Because then church will be different. You hear people saying, I'm bored. I'm bored of this. I'm bored of that. You cannot be bored when the Holy Spirit touches you. I've been in all kinds of services. And, you know, when somebody has the Spirit, it's inspiring. And I'm not talking about loudness. I'm not talking about length of service. I'm not talking about strobe lights or anything like that. 
All it, all it needs is one person, preferably the worship leader or the, the preacher. Amen. You know, that, that helps a bit. But even at that, God will sometimes use someone at the back to try and uh, remind us, you know, this needs to be an inspirational space. And we need to be living in the world, recognizing that it's uninspired. And I can't wait to get with my brothers and sisters because that's where there's energy and life and inspiration. I get loads of sermons hearing preachers. Somebody goes and reads it. Because if somebody is preaching under the... Is that true? So, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll quote a verse and your mind goes off and you say, wow, that's God turning up through the person. And so, you know, we need to... It says, they will prophesy... They will have dreams and they will have visions. My little paraphrasing of that is, they, they will have inspired proclamation. They will have inspired perception. They will have inspired purpose. And so the church needs to live in a place of inspirational speech. The church needs to live in a space of inspirational seeing. And Martin Luther King says, I have a dream. Have you got a dream? The devil is the author of nightmares. But God is the author of dreams. And God gives us dreams to see things that we couldn't see on terra firma. And God also gives us visions. Visions have to do with the purpose of God. God wants the church to be a place of infectious faith where we are injected with the life of God we are infected with the Spirit of God and we, as a result, we become infectious. Hallelujah. Imagine if someone had the Ebola virus. They say, keep them out of the country. The whole population will be afflicted with it. Oh, wouldn't it be great? Why is sin infectious and righteousness isn't? Why can't we have some infected spirituality and spirituality that catches on other people? Amen. And, and let it be a catching thing. Our meetings should be an inspirational space where the presence of God electrifies the room that we gather in. And, and here's the thing. I was teaching at a, a CEF event uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I made a statement that when I walk into a room, Jesus is in the room. When I go into the room, the temperature goes up. Hallelujah. When I go into the room, the truthfulness... And the spirituality of the space is immediately improved. And then I opened it up for questions and somebody said, I don't believe what you said. I admire honesty. Praise the Lord. So they said, you know, it probably sounded arrogant, me saying when I walk in. I said, theologically, I'm sorry. And I gave some scriptures. We did a Q&A at the end. And so there was a few tricky questions. But one of them was, I don't believe that you bring Jesus into a room. Jesus is only there when there's two or three gathered in his name. But anyway, I'm not going to go off on a tangent there, but the point I'm making is that when you go into a room, if you have the Holy Spirit, well, then that room gets warmer. Uh, the atmosphere gets livelier. The vibes get better, and the space gets brighter because Christ in you, the hope of glory, has come into that space, and you need to be a Christian, a little Christ, a Christ one, who is bringing the presence of God. But that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, very quickly, our meetings, church needs to be inspirational. 
And so I, I'm not worried about labels, whether you're Pentecost, you can put all the labels you like on the door. Uh, when we meet together, an inspirational space is created because we have the Holy Spirit and God wants to pour out His Spirit on His people. Our good deeds should be inspirational. James in his epistle says, you know, that don't just be hearers of the Word, be doers of the Word. And many of you will know that doing the Word of God, uh, the Greek word that's used there is poetes, which we get our English word poetry. And so when we do good deeds, we need to do it with style and inspiration. When the church does good works, we need to do it with an excellence and a quality and a radiance and in a style that goes beyond what the world does. Because we are inspired by the, the, the very Holy Spirit who created the world. And our conversations should be inspirational as well. People should come away from us feeling, I would like to be a Christian. I would like to go to that person's church. I would like to know more about uh, what that person is involved with. Okay, my time is gone. I'll just very quickly mention the other two points and we'll leave it there. Um, there's a rhythm of pouring out and pouring in that God wants. And so in the Bible, there are, there's the pouring out of the soul. And Hannah is an example of that. In Acts chapter 2, there's the pouring out of the spirit where God creates and pours inspiration into an uninspired world and uses his church as a template and as a test case and as an ex example and an experiment in that. So we, the church, are called to be an inspirational church. And then there's the pouring out of service to God. And sometimes our, our, our pursuit of God is, is misplaced. Sometimes we pursue God as Christians trying to get something from God when um, part of what God wants us to do is to give something to God. And so Paul says, my, my life is being poured out as a libation upon the offering of your faith. So there needs to be a pouring out of service. There's a pouring out of our souls first. There's a pouring in of our spirit. And because the spirit is in us, we can't resist service. And so we pour out our service to God. And uh, then there's the promise of the pouring down of supply in Malachi. So that's a rhythm, isn't it? I pour out, God pours down. I pour out in service and God pours down supply. So when you step out to serve God, whether it's in whatever ministry it is, you can trust him for supply. Does that make sense to you? And so, um, as I say, my time is gone. Uh, we'll close it off there. Um, I want us just to take a moment, and I would like us to respond.